I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I get emotional at films an embarrassing amount. Here, I didn't do enough. Here, get up. Here, even here, ridiculous. Why is this? It's bizarre if you think about it. These are imaginary people that I don't know on a screen dealing with issues that I often have no experience of myself. Why can we be so moved by them? Even if you don't get emotional, you'd probably agree that there is emotion that connects you to the story. I think understanding why this is the case can go some way in helping us understand what's at stake in a so-called culture war. Because what's often forgotten is that culture, politics and our own psychological lives are inseparably intertwined. How does culture connect to politics? There have always been culture wars, battles over values, beliefs, systems of thought, fights over national consciousness itself. Culture war issues differ from political ones in that they go beyond simple political debates about economics, laws, taxes and so on. They're about how we relate to one another on a more fundamental level. The current conservative complaint is now well known. Major institutions have been captured by leftist culture warriors. Hollywood, TV, mainstream news and newspapers, universities are all dominated by a woke, politically correct mindset. Andrew Breitbart was right when he said that politics is downstream from culture, that our values are laid bare in stories, songs, arts, even games and sports, before things get political. In other words, we focus too much on realpolitik, on the drama of political life, on elections, on the minutiae of the decisions that politicians make. But to understand politics, we must understand the culture or cultures that underpins it. 
The way we divide up politics and culture can be seen, in part, as a product of the Enlightenment division of the world into two, a rationalist world and an emotional one. On the one hand, we have a rationalised modern state and the bureaucratic management of things like business, politics, war, universities and our own lives. We apply rules, assign roles to each other in the office, live by schedules, have treaties between countries, have court processes, school exams, recognise qualifications, rules for elections, standardised measurements and regulations and so on. This is the inheritance of Enlightenment rationalism. It's the way we do modern life, the way we do business and politics. But in contrast to this, but just as important, we have a romantic tradition. This tradition acknowledges that reason and rationalism are not all that matters. We have emotions, passions, beliefs, personal relationships, national identities, cultural myths, art, film, poetry and music and the like. These two realms are often kept apart. We have the image of the white-coated rational scientist or the corporate businessman with a suitcase involved in experiments or data and calculation. Then we have the artistic genius, the passionate songwriter, the national poet, the auteur filmmaker, the insightful novelist. But no matter how much they're kept apart, in reality they always collide. The rational politician relies on poetic rhetoric and impassioned speeches. Scientists are often passionate and emotional about what they do and their pursuits. On the other hand, artists have to rely on the bureaucracies of universities or things like record labels when they're training or building an audience. And as much as we try to rationalise the political process, when it comes down to it, when we look for the ultimate ground and justification for our values, we get into a murkier area, one where national identity, passions, our cultural stories on things like TV shows and data, tax benefits and regulations all collide. We make political decisions based not on one or the other, but on a strange mix of both. It's a reminder Politics and the arts are not separate. I think one of the best people to understand this dichotomy through is a giant of the arts who is somewhat underappreciated in the popular imagination of the Anglosphere, the German writer Friedrich Schiller. He was at the centre of one of the most important and consequential culture wars in history, the Enlightenment one that culminated in the French Revolution. This culture war absolutely changed the world, and it's at the heart of how we think today. In the decades before the French Revolution exploded, there were wide-ranging debates about what art meant, the nature of things like religious feeling, the place of the theatre, and most centrally, an outpouring of novels that grabbed the hearts and minds of readers all across Europe. Voltaire's Candide, Rousseau's Julie, Goethe's The Sorrows of Young Werther, these were stories at the core of a culture war, a battle for the values that defined European life. For Schiller, these works of art were obviously political, so he asked himself a powerful question. How is art 
related to freedom. The French Revolution began in 1789, but before it even started, throughout the 1780s, Schiller had written several popular plays that were conspicuously revolutionary in character. He used his plays to discuss themes of liberty and equality while denouncing the regimes of oppression across Europe. Their theme? Revolt against established order. One of the plays, The Robbers, is the story of the son of an aristocrat who leads a band of moral thieves who have codes of ethics. Their loyalty to one another is contrasted with the immorality and egotism of those they steal from, a minister who sells offices to the highest bidder, for example. But more than a simple Robin Hood, the central character is also a revolutionary. But Schiller was sceptical about outright revolution, he believed in what the Germans called Bildung, a sort of moral education that improved everyone's character. And when the French Revolution turned to widespread bloodshed, he, like many, lamented over what had happened. How could the Enlightenment's culture war plea for a new moral order with freedom and equality at its core turn into such a horrifying, bloodthirsty moment? He said it was a moment of prodigal opportunity met with a generation unprepared to receive it. Instead of a new ethical kingdom of heaven on earth, violent and selfish impulses and passions were unleashed. So many of the period thought the same. William Wordsworth, the wider romantics, Kant and Hegel, all looked on the revolution with complicated feelings. And in 1795, Schiller wrote an essay that would change the trajectory of Enlightenment thought, inspire the Romantic Revolution, and still explains much of why culture wars still happen and matter today. In Letters on the Aesthetic Education of Man, Schiller argues that art and beauty are fundamental to the politics of freedom. He argues that people talk about philosophy and law and politics, but forget about art's role in our political lives. He claims strongly that it's through beauty that one progresses towards freedom. Look at the revolution, he says. Politics and philosophy have failed. We must turn instead to culture. But how can culture address the issues we face? One problem, as he saw it, was that our modern society was separating us from each other into different roles and separating us from ourselves by dividing us up into different parts. Reason and art were becoming divided in the same way division of labour separated us all into different jobs with no connection to each other, in the same way that we still separate the rational scientist from the creative artist. Previous civilizations, he thought, like the Greeks, had a much more balanced approach. Their culture tried to cultivate a balanced individual. He claims that in beauty, the separation between emotion and reason, between sympathy and logic, between science and art, can be reunited. He says it's by way of beauty that one approaches liberty. So, what does it mean to judge something as beautiful? It was a problem that had perplexed philosophers for millennia. For Schiller, 
and he followed Immanuel Kant here. Our appreciation of beauty could be explained by the way sense and form come together. Senses involve a diversity of sensations, feelings, emotions, different qualia in the world. Form involves structure, plan, reason and logic. When we appreciate beauty, whether in a sunset, a story, a song, a painting, poetry or dance, Schiller said, we play between these two different drives, sense and form. He describes it as living form. It's life and form at the same time. Quick interruption before we continue. No ads, 10 seconds. Patreon benefit, subscribe, hit the bell, leave a comment, like, share, follow on Twitter and Instagram, sign up for the newsletter, all of those things in the description below. If you want support then and now, then just do one of them. Let's get on with it. In music, we take distinct noises and put them in a pleasant order. In dance, we take the possibilities of the human body and apply form and music. We do the same in sport, which is often described in aesthetic terms, a beautiful goal, for example. And in a story or a poem, we take the contingencies of someone's life and impose a structure of some kind onto it, a moral order, a lesson, a goal, a point, of some kind. Schiller said, the play of art encourages us to play with all our faculties, intellect, feeling, imagination, memory and anticipation. This free play frees us up from the narrowness caused by specialization. He said that this playful blend of sense and form lifts up, in German, aufheben, but the German word also means to lift up and change, but preserve the diverse elements at the same time. This makes complete sense if you think about a great film, say. He's arguing that modern life is disjointed, but in something like a good story, music, acting, with a plot that shows us life in a completely different country, for example, we're quite literally lifted up by the coming together of sense and form. It's why we can describe art as inspiring, uplifting. The German philosopher Hegel, who was friends with Schiller, would be inspired by this. But how is this related to politics? To understand this, we have to think about a link between passion and politics. At the time, but maybe less so today, many believed that we had a kind of moral sense and there was a great wave of what was known as sentimentalism, a great outpouring of emotion and passion all across Europe. Rousseau, for example, influentially argued that people should feel more. Many of the great best-selling love stories of the period were written within a political frame for a reason that's kind of lost to us, but we can probably empathise with nonetheless. Rousseau's Julie, Goethe's Werther and Schiller's Intrigue and Love are all about love being obstructed by the politics of the period. Love lost in an ancient regime of privilege, people ordered into unhappy marriages, relationships between the classes prevented, between servant and lord impossible. Rousseau's and Schiller's works were European-wide bestsellers, some reported being so taken by them that they'd faint or weep for days. 
It's easy to see why Rousseau thought that love could be the basis of a universal politics, because it transcended those artificially imposed and oppressive differences. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Love and beauty being so intimately connected, the question must be raised. Is there something universalistic in these feelings? Something that speaks to our equality, our natural liberty even? Schiller thought so. Beauty is timeless, he thought. We admire millennia-year-old statues. The best stories are told over generations. The best art hung in galleries. If beauty is universal, if it's felt universally, then there's something in it that can unite us. He believed that Kant was right when he said we have a moral law within us. That law is a simple taste for the universal, that morality has its basis in thinking reasonably about whether our beliefs, actions and our relationships with others are conformable to a universal moral code. Whether, if everyone acted in that specific way, we could all live harmoniously in what Kant called a kingdom of ends. Form, structure, in music, art, stories, and in morality, is unity, harmony, perfection. Kant's ethics, living in harmony with one another, was a type of form that we apply to our human lives in the same way that we apply form to sound in music or to acrylic in painting. We all work together to impose rational harmony onto the world. That's what makes us human. Schiller talks passionately about how the simple play of beauty can lead to duty and destiny. He said, sensual pleasures we enjoy merely as individuals, the pleasures of knowledge we enjoy only as a group, the beautiful alone we enjoy both as individual and as group. Schiller's essay has been extraordinarily influential and has been analysed and cited and pored over ever since. It's full of holes and problems and in many ways it raises more questions than answers, but I think it speaks to something we do seem to have an intuition for, that there's a connection between the beautiful and the good. It adds to a chorus of ideas that were growing in popularity at the time, that art isn't mimesis, it isn't simply copying the world. 
that through art, through expression, we mould, shift and create new worlds. And hopefully, Schiller would say, that's a moral, harmonious and good world. He said to the artist that to raise the people wherever you meet them, surround them with noble and great forms and symbols until illusion conquers reality and art conquers nature. I think Schiller is addressing this almost mysterious question about how we relate to the other that we don't always know. In modern life, we're meant to be a collective while not knowing anyone past our immediate circles. For Schiller, we don't just relate to this unknown other politically, subject to the same laws and regulations, for example, speaking the same language, but we also relate to them culturally, through television shows and music and film. As in Benedict Anderson's famous phrase, an imagined community. And I think he's right, and that culture wars, especially ones about the arts, matter because they're about that powerful relationship between beauty and politics. They're about liberty. Artists of all types are engaged in the practice of creating these new moral horizons. Writing not long after, the romantic poet Percy Shelley called poets the unacknowledged legislators of the world. Wordsworth and Coleridge went on to write simple, romantic, morality poems in their lyrical ballads in an attempt to connect with ordinary people, to lift up Alphaben, their character. Schiller said that the end of humanity is to achieve harmony in knowing, doing and enjoying. In his book on culture wars, Stephen Prothero has argued that although it seems like conservatives make a lot of noise during them, liberals have always won them, because at their heart, they're usually about toleration. And if you think about some of the progressive culture war wins throughout history, women winning the vote, advances in civil rights, the sovereignty of the people over monarchs, there are clear and memorable works of artistic endeavour attached to them. This, this, this. The gifts that my ancestors gave, I am the hope and the dream of the slave. And so, wow, there I go. The theory thinks that culture war advances throughout history have proven that the arc of history bends a little more towards inclusion and toleration. Schiller might add to that that art is essential to that arc. Thank you to all of these incredible Patreon supporters. These videos take a long time to research, write and make. I do a lot of reading. They're always sourced and there's a bibliography in the description below. I've written something short on why I think this kind of well-researched long-form content is worth supporting. It's through the link below too. If you agree, then you can support then and now by pledging anything from a single dollar per month and get your name in credits, access to scripts early and become a member of the Discord server. If you can't do that, I know everyone says this, this, but please do subscribe, hit the bell, like, leave a comment. These things help with the algorithm so, so much. I'm also trying out a newsletter. I'm going to distill and summarize each video into a quick, easily digestible email for those who don't have time or want to recap, along with some related insights. Sign up below. As always, more than anything, thank you so much for watching. I'll see you next time.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.